the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, JohnnyTShirt.com. Jason Staples trying to throw me off there. Got to remember what we're doing today. It's the Game Plan podcast. If you'd have told me six months ago, said we'd be doing a game plan podcast two days before Carolina kicks off the 2020 football season. I might have thought you crazy, but Greg Barnes, here we are. Are you ready to cover some football? Yeah, the fact that we are is uh, tremendous, Tommy. I I, I thought, kind of like you, a few months back, this was not going to happen. But the numbers have gotten better, and I think money rules all, as we all know. Uh, and so that was a driving factor in making sure football was being played. And uh, so here we are. It's a revamped schedule. Uh, a lot of things are different. We're missing the Big Ten and the Pac-12, at least the, at this point of the season. They may come scurrying back sooner than later. Uh, but it is football. And uh, between the lines, it's, it's all the same, the same as it's always been. It is it's crazy. I said, though, I said back in April and March, they're playing football come hell or high water. They have to. And, you know, there's been a lot of high water and a lot of hell going on, but Carolina kicks it off. Before I forget, if you're listening to this on iTunes and, and Spotify, you need to go rate us, review us, subscribe, whatever it takes for you to get this content. Also on YouTube, if you're watching us, you see Jason, that's not the Death Star, but it always reminds me of the Death Star, Jason Staples up in your top left corner, live from the library in Hogwarts, maybe that's what that is. Uh, Jason, I'm going to bring you in. You know, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but it still feels kind of weird that, that we're talking about a college football season that's about to start. Uh, your overall thoughts on that, where, where did you think we'd be six months ago? I, I would have bet a reasonable amount of money that we were going to be looking at probably trying to do something in the spring. Uh, I just didn't see, I mean, I know that cash rules everything around me, (laughs) but at the same point, I, I also know that it takes a certain amount of political will to be, to, to go through with the season when you know that there's a lot of, um, a lot of at least perceived risk when it comes to, uh, to this, what is a very serious virus. And uh, I didn't think that they'd be able to manage the virus or uh, all of the other things that you have to do to be able to get that done this season. So uh, I'm, I'm about as thrilled as anybody just to be able to have, have this, uh, this, this fall because I, I didn't expect it. So yeah. And by the way, this is uh, this is Dr. Strange's. Yeah, that's right. Not, that. uh, not Hogwarts here. But I can I can make it. I can make it the Death Star if you want. So, you know, whatever works, just uh, keep the dog, Star Destroyer. Keep the dog out of it. And you know which dog I'm talking about. <laughs> Greg, we talked a little bit about this off air and I want to talk about it here with our listeners and our watchers. We, um, you know, if this was a normal season. We're all down in Atlanta right now preparing for Carolina's second game of the year 
against a very good Auburn team. And that would have been after Carolina had gone to Orlando to play against a very good Central Florida team. Given all that's happened and how the schedule has changed and all that, I can't think of a better way for North Carolina to open the year um, with who they've got coming to Keenan Stadium on Saturday, and especially given how things have been over the last six months. Yeah, uh, knock on wood, I, I guess we would say, but, but things have, have turned very favorably for, for North Carolina. Um, the fact that you go back to the end of June and we hear about you know, a cluster of cases throughout the football program, that becomes a concern. Here we are two months later. Uh, they have not had any positive cases since then. And what that means is, is that throughout the entirety of training camp, they had the full roster available to them, which is really a critical development. That's, that has not been the case uh, throughout the Power Five uh, yeah, in most spots. And then when you factor in that because of how things transpired, when students returned to campus, you know, all athletic activity halted for about four days. So North Carolina lost a number of days there. Uh, but as you said, when the schedule was, was changed, you, you don't have to play that first week of September. And so North Carolina was able to make up those, those four days of practice and, and strength and conditioning workouts during that week. And so the fact that they were able to get in all 25 practices before the first game, um, that, that's a, a big benefit. And then when you talk about the schedule itself, you, when you start at Central Florida and then against Auburn in Georgia, which is, uh, may not be a, a away game, <laughs> but it was certainly going to benefit the Tigers. Those are two top 25 programs, and that's going to be a very tough start for, for North Carolina, for, for any team, but especially for North Carolina. Now you have this shakeup of the schedule, and all of a sudden you've got Syracuse, who was not very good last year. They've had some issues in the offseason. Uh, there's not a lot of expectation they're going to be much better this year. And then fast forward a week, and you have Charlotte as your new non-conference team, and then a bye week. Um, so while you did miss spring practice and you did miss – you know, a portion of your off-season workouts back in, in spring and in May and, and early June, you, you have a little bit of an extra time period here where you can, you can kind of see which guys do you have that can play and which of the young guys can contribute before you get into the meat of the season uh, in October. And so everything's just kind of set up very nice for North Carolina. Uh, if they can take advantage of these, these first two opportunities to, to get big leads – to be able to get a lot of guys snaps, uh, I think we'll be talking about this as a very favorable uh, development for UNC deep into the season and even even after the season. Jason, can you – is it possible for Carolina to get back on the track they would have been on given how this is all ultimately shaken out? Meaning – without spring, without normal summer, without all that, but given how it's actually worked out, I mean, is this team going to be as close as it could have been, possibly could have been to whatever expectations they were coming into 2020? If anything, I think this team, and for a lot of the reasons that Greg just said, I think this team's in a better position than it would have been uh, because everything has to be taken comparatively when you're in a competitive sport. So, yeah, it hurts in terms of your ability to execute and certain things are going to be rougher when you don't have a spring, when you don't have everything in the summer and all of that. But everybody else is dealing with the same stuff. So 
that is a that that's a real issue that that you're not having to you're not having to um having a comparative disadvantage you have to you have to think about that 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 uh when you then change out the schedule and it's a much more advantageous schedule and you're not losing a comparative advantage. I mean, everybody else has the same problems practice wise as North Carolina. All of a sudden, I think you're in better shape. And, and especially with a second year staff, you're, it's your second year in an offense. And a couple of the teams that they're playing are first year in an, in an offense or first year head coach in a second year in a system that on, a, on the offensive side, Longo's system is not the most complicated in the world. I mean, he only runs, you know, a fairly limited number of concepts and really wants his guys to get good at those concepts. When the guys were doing some stuff in the summer, when there was some of that, those opportunities and when they're doing it in camp, it's a, it's a little bit of an advantage in that respect that they're not running, you know, the Jimbo Fisher uh, offense where you've got so much to learn and, and to rep. You're, you're on a more limited uh, front and it, fits together nicely. And, and I think overall, this, this is a, this is a bit of an advantage for Carolina relative to what it would have been. Uh, I think, I think they'll probably finish higher in the ACC and higher nationally as a result of the, this schedule than they would have against the last schedule, most likely. Greg, to, to develop the chemistry and we talk about this all the time, let's start on the, maybe the offensive line. Is chemistry going to be an issue or has Phil Longo and Stacey Searles and Mac Brown, have they managed this going into this Syracuse game uh, to where that may not be as big an issue as it could have been? Yeah, I think the fact because you, you did lose spring practice and you did lose some early summer workouts, you did, you did miss out on some of that opportunity to, to build chemistry. But everybody did. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons, you know, Mac talks about a lot of these early games are going to be ugly uh, because you, I mean, look at Navy, for example, they weren't exactly sure how to hold training camp. So they really limited contact and then they looked horrible against BYU. And I'm sure Navy will look a lot better as the season goes along. Um, but that, you know, that decision uh, that Ken had w was not a good one in terms of, you know, uh, with regard to how his team actually played. North Carolina has, has maintained their, their focus on, on hitting, uh, and so that helps. Uh, but I think the fact that North Carolina has so many key pieces on the offensive line back, that allows that chemistry to be rebuilt and continue on from last year. So, so that is a benefit. Um, you know, I think the bigger issue is they really wanted the spring season to develop some depth. Uh, and that's one of the reasons Matt keeps talking about, hey, we've really only got six guys that we're really comfortable with. And you're starting five uh, and Ed Montalus coming off the bench at left guard. And then they like Jonathan Dorno, but of course, he's a young guy. He didn't get a spring practice in. A true freshman who got training camp in, that's really it. And so they're going to bring him along as quickly as they can for him to possibly be that seventh guy until Ty Murray you know, gets healthy and can compete there at center. Uh, but, but I think they've navigated the, the chemistry issue um, as best they could, especially with having so many veterans back. Uh, but I think it really will show up, you know, with the, with the twos and the threes. And again, uh, the hope is that if you can build decent leads against Syracuse and Charlotte, 
you can mitigate some of those concerns. Jason, as a, as a guy that played, um, how much depth can you build in games versus in the offseason? Is that a comparable – can you compare it that way? Because like Greg said, these first two weeks, our Carolina coaches are looking to build some depth. Can you accomplish that in a game maybe better than you can or – whatever compared to what could have been practice-wise? I'm going to answer a nice two-part answer here. Um, number one, it depends on how many teams you blow out and how quickly you're up by 40. So if you're, if you're sitting 42 to nothing in the third quarter, you can start to develop some depth. <laughs> you can start to you can start to get real depth there because you're you're running guys out there and even before you get to 42 to nothing you're starting to shuffle some other guys in even before that just because you can because you know you're better than the other team so that helps but even then it's not you you can't develop depth as much during games as you can say during spring spring is really where a lot of that happens in the first couple of weeks of, of fall camp because it's just a matter of reps. It's the number of reps you can have. And you think about it, when you're playing a game, you get half the number of reps that you get in a scrimmage in terms of your team because only one unit is out there at a time. When you're, when you're in a scrimmage, you have both the offense and the defense are out there. They're both getting reps. In a game, your offense or your defense is out there. And so let's say you, let's say you do get a full quarter to try to develop depth and you're getting guys out there you're still only getting what 25 snaps for 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 that for that group that's not a ton so yeah maybe maybe you can get 25 30 snaps for for your young guys in a blowout but you compare that to let's say three full spring spring scrimmages where you can get those young guys 50 or 60 reps in live action, you know, full contact live action where you can actually get it, get them some experience playing in your system in full contact situations to where they're actually having to do their assignments and everything in a kind of get quasi game context. That's the value of those scrimmages in the spring. And then you have one or two of them before you get to real later preparation in, in the fall that's when you're doing the bulk of your of your depth development is when you're doing that stuff and then that not to mention all of the extra reps that are taken every day in individual segments and in uh, team drills and all of that on non scrimmage days you're still having scrimmage periods where those guys are getting 10 or 15 reps and that's you know the equivalent of maybe half a quarter in a game that said you still need game experience before you're really ready because you know it's, it is a little different with live bullets flying instead instead of practice uh, rounds. So you need a little bit of both, but there's no substitute for what you get in the spring and in the early fall in terms of of managing depth and being able to build guys into a place where they're they're more dependable. Greg, in that same vein, the chemistry vein, the depth vein, Sam Howell's obviously the guy, no question. But one one thing that I heard, and correct me if I'm wrong is that Ruder and Jacoby Criswell maybe aren't as far along as they would have liked. Maybe to no fault of their own, given the situation, but we've talked about how Sam Howe will be utilized more. Sam Howe's legs may get some more time, but that depth behind him, everybody speaks to that, 
but I'm not sure that it's really proven yet. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, for sure. And you know, Jace Reuter, uh, we've talked about him a lot over the years, but I mean, he's only played a, a handful of snaps due to injury those last two years. And so his skill set is there. He's, a, he's an athletic guy, can run. Uh, he's improved his passing in recent years. So they think he's a guy they can count on. But again, even though he's been around, he hasn't really played. And Chriswell, of course, is a true freshman. Uh, so, so not having, to kind of to Jason's point, to not having spring practice and all those multitudes of reps. And beyond that, you're going out after practice and, and throwing the ball with your wide receivers. Um, you, that's, that's the key component of it. And so they were really playing catch-up. Um, I think that's, that's kind of what Mac is speaking toward. Now, you know, last year, one of the reasons they, they didn't feel comfortable r- running how, uh, you know, as you mentioned there, is because Vincent Amendola was the backup as a walk-on after Ruder got hurt and Cade Fortin left. So in order to correct that, it's not just enough to have bodies there. You have to get them ready. Uh, and so they were continue to, to give those guys a ton of reps and practice. Uh, but you know, if you can build a big enough lead, again, you give them snaps and live game action to try to uh, expedite that, that process so that you know, if you need them for any, any stretch of time later in the year, you can at least have some faith they can go in and execute their packages of plays. And that, that is one thing. You know, it, it's difficult enough while, while longest system clearly is, is, simplistic i don't know if that's the right word that's probably a fair word to use uh in terms of learning it they they really have stress given both Ruder and chriswell uh, small packages to make sure that hey you guys you're going to get in there these are the small things we want you to do this is what we want you to show us hey i've got these down and so there are going to be you know a small subset of plays but that's that's how they're going to test them that's how they're going to gauge how far along they've come. Once they can check those boxes, then everything kind of opens up for them. Let me take a, a second right fast before we get too deep into the podcast to talk about Johnny T-Shirt and johnnytshirt.com. Great sponsors of Inside Carolina podcast and of Inside Carolina, great friends of Inside Carolina and great friends of you if you need Carolina gear, football gear. Football season's here. I still can't believe we're talking about a game plan podcast as the season starts in about 48 hours. From when we were recording this, Johnny T-Shirt's your friend. Johnny T-Shirt needs you to support them as well. Get 10% off your order as an Inside Carolina Premium subscriber. Go to Franklin Street and see them. If you happen to be in town or order it, it comes to your door. I'm going to take another short break, pay the national bills. We'll be right back. We're back. Game plan podcast. I'm Tommy Ashley, Jason Staples, and Greg Barnes. Hadn't really talked a lot about the game plan yet, but now we will. And this has always been the portion that's most fun to me because when I look back over these podcasts over the years, some days we got it. We nailed it. Other days we might as well have been talking about uh, entirely different opponents and teams and all that. Jason. Entirely different sport in some yeah, cases. Yeah, yeah, in some cases for sure. I mean, our predictions that we'll have at the end of the show have been uh, wonderfully awful at times. But Barnes, I know, will come to you later and you'll give us the perfect one. Jason, let me come to you about this game plan. We've talked about the issues. We've talked about the chemistry issues. How does Carolina approach this game with Syracuse? How do you see the Tar Heels coming out early, especially on offense, given everything that's going on, 
We'll talk about Syracuse and their issues in just a second, but from Carolina's side, what's the approach from Phil Longo and Mac Brown? What I would do is I would want to come out and hang my hat on my running game. Uh, I, I look at what they've got up front on the offensive line and the pair of running backs that they have coming in and then what Syracuse has coming back in terms of their, uh, their overall defense. And they're undersized. They don't have a ton of uh, up front. They're, you know, they're okay. Uh, they've got you know, one pretty good defensive tackle. But looking at the matchups, I feel like I can run the football on this team. And if you're going to be entering into a sloppy game, and what is most likely going to be a sloppy game and a sloppy season, if you, can, if you can come out and establish your will in the line of scrimmage, go ahead and do that and then start sort of let that set the tone and then get a few play action passes and some things off of that and, and work from there. But I'm, I'm handing the ball off to uh, Javante Williams, to Michael Carter, and seeing if Syracuse can, can stop the run at all. Because I, I suspect coming into this game that Syracuse run defense is still going to be struggling a little bit. And if they can't stop the run, then all of a sudden you can, your whole offense is open and, and that makes things so much easier. So that's what I'd be doing. And I know Longo loves to throw the ball, but that's, that's how I come into, the, come into the game is let's see if I can run it down their throats for a quarter and a half and then open some things up after that. Greg, we can talk about Syracuse's issues on offense. Speak to what you've learned to, about Syracuse's defense, and also do you agree with Jason's approach for Carolina and Longo? Yeah, I, I totally agree with Jason. Um, just because you know, everybody's going to be primed and ready for Sam Howell, right? This is his uh, Heisman Trophy candidacy beginning, right? So he, he's going to get all the attention, which he, which he deserves. Uh, but when you, when you look at a, a Syracuse team, and, and Jason has spoken to this before in prior podcasts, but really kind of worst case scenario for a lot of these new coaches uh, is having to install schemes, you know, in the spring. And then of course you don't have the spring. And so you're having to rush uh, new schemes in during training camp. And that's very difficult. And that's what Syracuse is having to do uh, defensively. You know, Tony White came over from San Diego state um, and he's, he's installed that San Diego state three, three, five, uh, that uh, Rocky Long has played forever because he's at New Mexico now. Um, but it's, it's a different look from, from what Syracuse has run before. And one of the reasons they've kind of installed it is they've struggled so much uh, to, to, get, to get the talent in place they need. And so they said, you know what, we're going to switch things up. We're going to try to be a little bit more uh, creative in how we get pressure. And that's kind of what the, the 335 is designed to do. It's more, you know, up front, it's going to look like a, a three-four scheme, um, but they they use that rover position basically as a, as a middleman uh, to kind of judge, you know, if he needs to come up as a and run support or, or kind of drop back. Um, Jason could probably speak to that a little bit more, but that's that's kind of what they're looking at. And so when you when you've got a, a three-three front, what will be probably a, a three-four, uh, you kind of take advantage of that and say, okay, what are they going to do? We know they're going to send pressure because that's the whole concept behind the three, three, five. It's not, not different in idea than what Jay Bateman wants to do. He wants to create confusion. Uh, They do a lot of stunting up front and uh, they want to be able to find some gaps. And I'm sure they're looking at North Carolina's uh, issues from last year. I mean, UNC gave up 37 sacks 
And we know some of the reasons behind that with Sam not being able to run because of QB depth. Uh, but that was still an issue. That, that was one of the things that kind of hindered this offense at times. And so how do you, how do you counter that? Well, you counter that by, by leaning on your run game early and kind of getting an idea of, all right, what are, they, what are they wanting to do schematically that maybe we didn't plan for? And if you can lean on your rushing attack early, while still taking some shots, of course, uh, but you kind of get an idea and you say, okay, well, we think we can exploit them here. Or we can exploit them you know, in a vertical down the left because they will run a lot of quarter coverage. That's kind of what they do with their safeties and, and quarterbacks. Uh, so a lot, of those, a lot of those things will kind of come in as a chess match, more so than, than in your typical year because Phil Longo, when he's looking at what Tony White wants to do, he's looking at what happened at San Diego State, and he's looking against, you know, at that bowl game against Florida State. Uh, because that was when Tony White kind of took over as, as D.C. in Arizona State. But he's really looking back at what Rocky Long did, because that's where Tony White got his feet wet. Uh, and when you're, when you're basing ideas and schemes off of not the last team, but maybe a previous team that a coach was you know, coaching, things get kind of dicey. And so I think you take it very conservative early, and then you pick your spots to attack. Jason, I heard Greg throw out that word quarters. And when I think of quarters, I think the ball's going deep. Uh, I mean, I think Sam Howe does get a few opportunities, maybe more than a few, to air it out at some point. Uh, do we expect to see that, or will we be talking after this game how maybe vanilla for you know the, the common word that Longo approached it? Uh, I think it's going to be pretty vanilla, frankly. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't be some deep shots because, I mean, you look at what the default plays are for Longo and you're going to have four verts is going to be right up at the top of the list. You run four guys straight down the field is going to be right up at the top of the list of his bread and butter as a passing, uh, as a passing coach. So you're going to see some deep shots and when te when teams are going to play quarters, you're going to try to pick on those safeties and, and try to hit those post routes and all that. So that's, that doesn't change. The thing is they, they actually have a, a set of, of deep safeties that all three of the safeties that they're going to play are pretty good. So those aren't the guys, if you're, if you're choosing who to pick on just by personnel on their defense, their safeties are, are, are their strength. Now, I think Carolina's receivers are still better than Syracuse's safeties, but that does give you a little indication of, well, maybe, maybe show a little respect there. And, uh, and again, that gives you all the reason to use your size. I mean, Carolina's offensive line is huge. And, you know, lean on them a little bit and see how they handle that. Now, the interesting side of this is, you know, Greg brought up some similarities to Bateman's defense. And there's, some, there's definitely some of that uh, for sure. There's also a lot of similarity to what, uh, to what Wake Forest and Appalachian State do. And both of, those, both of those defenses gave Carolina a lot of trouble last year in terms of undersized, quick fronts. And Carolina's offensive line is huge like I said, and they struggled a little bit at times with the quickness from both of those fronts with all of the slanting and stunting that they did. And some of that was that those games were early in the year when they were still sort of getting a feel for uh, personnel. The personnel was getting a feel for Longo's offense and who has what assignments against this stunt and that. And that's where you'd hope to see some improvement this year. But again, if you're Longo and Mac Brown, you want to you figure out real quick, okay, can we block this kind of front better than we did last year 
And you want to go out and, and get it, get a shot to, to show that. And if you can, then all of a sudden everything else again gets really simplified because then they have to drop that Rover into the box. They have to add that extra run defender they're, and those quarter safeties start coming up real quick because they're, they're expected to help in, in run defense. And that's when all of a sudden it's right over the top. It's a, it makes the game easy. And again, Sam Howell's in his second year, but some of us have talked about this a little bit off the air is he's coming off a second year into that sophomore year where the expectations are through the roof or through the ceiling roof. If you know, you're in Chapel Hill, um, this, that does, if you're, if I'm a coach, I expect Sam to handle that really well. I mean, I think he's well equipped to do that. But I also want early in the season, especially and early in those first couple games, to take some pressure off of him, to get him to make sure that he understands that I'm not expecting him to come into the year and be Tom Brady, you know, all year, you know, Patriots, Tom Brady, all of a sudden throwing the ball all over the field and depending on him exclusively. I want him to play within the offense. I want him to, uh, to understand that things haven't really changed. He just needs to continue to be who he is and, and, and just take a step forward and everything's going to be fine. So that's another thing that you're communicating by saying, look, we're going to come into this. We're going to lean on him. We're going to be patient. And, we're, and, and I'm communicating to my team the mentality that I want. I want to be patient. I want to make sure that I take what's there. And then, and there's going to be some stuff there, I think, against that front. So all told, I think there's a lot of things there that, that just in that matchup, I would like coming in as a first game. I think this is a great matchup for North Carolina coming in uh, the first game when I'm looking at it on the offensive side in particular. I, I, I would love this to be my first matchup if I'm, if I'm Phil Longo. Me thinks I'm going to steal the comment you made about the App State and Wake Forest defenses is something I talk about on Inside Carolina Live on Saturday morning is maybe my key to watch. Let's, uh, first of all, you got to each have two words. You can only utter two words. Offensive MVP for Carolina on Saturday. Greg. Uh, Sam Howell. That was three, if we count it. Uh, Jason. <laughs> Javante Williams. Let's move on to defense. Uh, Would you give sir? us harder questions next time, Tommy? Well, look, you've got 25 guys to choose from. I mean, you could have picked somebody besides the obvious. Ed Montalus. How about that? Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> If he is the, the star, <laughs> it might be some trouble. Uh, defense. Syracuse, it's not as bad as I've read, I don't think. But, Greg, Syracuse has got a world of issues on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, how on earth does Carolina not take serious advantage of that on Saturday? Yeah, you know, we talk a lot about matchups, and, and Jason's right, and I agree with him about UNC's offense having a good matchup against Syracuse's defense. The biggest question mark on North Carolina's team is this defensive line, uh, and they're going up against an offensive line that was uh, horrible last year. And some of the key pieces they thought they would have this year are not able to play in this game. So what you have is uh, Chris Elmore, who is a fullback, is listed as your starting left guard. Um, so when, when Raymond Vahasek and uh, Jalil Taylor and Tamari Fox and Zach Gill get out there, it's going to be a good opportunity for them. It's probably going to be easier for them against Syracuse than it has been in some of the scrimmages. 
And that's what you want. You want to give those guys some opportunities to, to have success. Uh, but, you know, Dakota Davis at, at guard, uh, he was – I think he was penciled in at left guard. He was the guy that probably was Syracuse's best offensive lineman. He's banged up with injury. Uh, he'll be back at some point this year, but not for this game. And then uh, Chris Bleich, I believe is how you say his name, uh, started last year at Florida and transferred in the offseason, has not gained uh, or been granted eligibility by the NCAA. So it looks like he at least he's going to miss this game and, and may not be able to play this season. So those are two key pieces there. If you have both of those guys who they, who they love, maybe we're having a little bit different conversation. Uh, but as it is, they do have some returning starters along the offensive line. But again, that group was just really bad last year. And um, you know, Tommy DeVito, excuse me, Danny DeVito at quarterback. <laughs> um, when he has Tom, he's pretty good. I was looking at this earlier, Tommy. I think this is pretty interesting. Last year, when, when DeVito was kept clean with no pressure, he completed 72% of his passes for 2,000 yards, 18 touchdowns, and two interceptions. You will take that all day, any day. Unfortunately, uh, the majority of the time he was under pressure, and that's where the 50 sacks come into play. That's just way too many. And talking with the Syracuse beat writer, he recalled several times where Dino went to a max protect with seven guys, a running back and a tight end staying home to protect, and him still getting sacked. Uh, and so I think this is an opportunity. You know, one concern that North Carolina has had, and I think it's a legitimate concern, is that they don't have uh, the pass rushing ability that they would like. And Mac has kind of harped on the fact you have to be able to create pressure with four guys up front consistently. That is not what they've seen in camp, and that's one of the reasons I think you're going to see not only Tamon Fox kind of be a key guy, I mean, he, he was going to be regardless, but they're really going to have to utilize Trey Morrison and Chas Surratt uh, creating pressure on their own, sending them from different directions. Um, and I think that's – that's the key. If you, if you can collapse that pocket, uh, DeVito's not a, not a poor athlete. I mean, he can run, but you, you don't want him having a scramble around in, in that offense that they use. And so if you can get him out of the pocket moving around, uh, that changes the dynamic of this game quite a bit. And with North Carolina's secondary playing the way that they apparently have been in training camp, uh, that sets up, for, yeah, sets up the opportunity for, for not only sacks, but also interceptions down the field. I'm not going to mispronounce the kid's name or it's Danny. It's, Danny. Uh, you know, his twin, Tommy, is the actual quarterback. And if people are listening, going, What the hell's wrong with Greg Barnes? Go back and listen to the schedule podcast where I had the names perfect, man. Danny DeVito was running the show at Syracuse until I was so uh, <laughs> rudely told it was not his actual name. Jason, that, that is one thing. And I'm trying my best not to say Danny, but DeVito. If my memory serves, and it's getting bad, uh, he torched Carolina up in the in the Carrier Dome a couple of years ago, a couple of three years ago, and he's not the same guy. He wasn't the same guy last year. Greg makes the point that it's all about the pressure. Well, this is one of those weakness on weaknesses if, if Carolina's defense has one, like Greg mentioned. Does Chaz Surratt – do they just turn Chaz Surratt loose? Because – Syracuse doesn't have any running backs. They'll have guys back there, and their skill positions aren't you know, on the outside aren't the greatest. But I think this is a perfect opportunity for 
Bateman to at least gain some confidence in his guy's ability to get pressure, right? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the places where that makes you more confident in this game, it's not just about the pressure. It's, it's that one of the reasons they got, they got shelled uh, in the Carrier Dome by DeVito a few years ago was that they just got whipped in the secondary. So you had, you had basically Syracuse's receivers won a bunch of matchups. I mean, DeVito's completion percentage in that game was only 57.9. Not great. But he threw, you know, 50-yarder and, and the, uh, the overall yards per pass, he was over 10 yards or just under 10 yards in attempt in that game. So, you know, there was a lot of damage being done down the field against that Carolina defense, which, you know, the 2018 Carolina defense wasn't great. And, yep, you know, it's a – some of it is, is, is pressure. Some of it is that their offensive line was terrible last year, and it's probably not going to be very good this year. But one of the things that just makes this a lot easier for Bateman and his defense is that they feel like their, their secondary actually can cover this year. And I can tell you last year, by the time they got to about week three, week four, that defensive staff didn't feel like their secondary could cover. So, I mean, they were, they were calling very conservatively last year just because they knew, look, like, look, if we go split field coverage on this, if we go cover four or we go cover three, uh, or if we go cover four or cover two here, we're going to get shelled. We can't cover those guys. So we're just going to have to mix and match and make sure that we have a guy that's playing way over the top in the middle of the field and we're going to, you know, play with some cushion and all that because they just didn't believe that they could cover teams this year. They feel like they've got, they, can, they can stick four corners out on the field that can all cover. And they can, they can stick a nickel out on the field with two of those corners and be in a nickel defense and cover three guys comfortably and still have some, some help from the safety position and roll the safety down. And they can man cover. They can do a lot of different things. The flexibility is there to avoid the problems that they had a couple of years ago. So that, what that allows you to do is then, like you said, well, you know, Stick, uh, stick Surratt at one of the edges and let him go or turn him loose on some blitzes and, and do a lot more to, to generate pressure. And you already know that they're going to struggle up front. So now you add to that knowing that they probably aren't going to whip you outside. And it's a really good situation if you're, if you're coming into this as a defensive coordinator, knowing that personnel-wise the matchup looks good for you. Now you still want to make sure that you're that – you're, not just being stupid and just, you know, calling sellout blitzes the whole way, but you feel like uh, you feel like your guys across the board can match up with their guys. And that allows you to do some things in the pass rush game that you couldn't otherwise. Can I give you the two word question, Greg? Is that one too easy? I think it's appropriate on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. Two words, defensive MVP. Trey Morrison. Jason? Chaz Surratt. Interesting. Morrison with a couple picks, you thinking, Greg? A couple picks, a couple sacks. What, what I'm excited about is, is Bateman said his goal is on one series to play Morrison at corner, nickel, and safety. So I'm going to be looking for that the whole game. That would be very – it's, it's like Roy Williams trying to get Leaky Black to play all five positions in the game. Nice. He ought to go ahead and get that knocked out because I know you, you'll be checking for it. 
All right. <laughs> we, we've covered both sides of the ball. We've talked a lot about these guys, and now we're going to do what we always do, and we're going to be better at it this year. We're going to do predictions. And I'm going to start with Greg because I found out last year, folks, if you're listening, new listeners to this, Greg Barnes would like go – it's like the old Price is Right <laughs> type thing. You know, if it was – if I said 24-17, he'd be like 25-18 or something. Greg, you're first, so we can do that to you. Carolina-Syracuse noon on the ACC Network in a empty Kenan Stadium. Now, just – Correct me if my memory is wrong, Tommy. I believe Jason and I both picked Carolina to finish six and six during the 2019 regular season. Oh, right. Do you have proof? Do we need to go listen to that show? I'm sure we have the podcast saved somewhere. Jason, is that right? If I remember right, that's correct. Wow, that's impressive. I don't remember that. I know I had the first like five or six games on the money. Now, I think I got 10 of the games wrong. (laughs) <laughs> in total it worked out yeah the record right yeah right. It, it was i was in a similar boat where i, I picked the wrong games that they won in uh preseason but you know, <laughs> i had a good sense of basically where they'd fit and the thing is in 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 our defense here greg how many games were decided by less than a touch by touchdown or less last year nine yeah so you could have just flipped a coin on all those games and you know we flipped the coin and it just came up the wrong way we knew it'd be a coin flip we just didn't know which one it would come up on which game so you know i'm glad we don't get paid to predict we get paid to cover greg uh you're the best one at covering let's see what you got predicting straight well i think i think north carolina's offense is, is legit will be one of the best in the country um and while i i do think north carolina's back seven uh, should be much improved over last year. I do have some legitimate reservations about that defensive front. And so uh, they're going to have to prove it to me before I put a lot of stock in how good that defensive front can be. Uh, so I think Syracuse will score some points. Uh, not near enough to keep up with North Carolina. I've got UNC winning this one 41-27. 41-27. You writing them down, Jason? I'm writing mine down right now. Okay, well, you're up. Greg's got forty-one twenty-seven. I think did I see uh, CFN or something had like thirty-four thirty Carolina. So that's yeah, not. I don't think it's going to be. I don't expect this to be a close game late in the fourth quarter. Oh, yeah, if it's maybe that a close. backdoor score or something. Jason, what you got? I think this is going to be a, a runaway. I, I actually think Carolina is going to cover this game. Uh, I think the spread last time I saw it was twenty-two and a half. Yep. And. Honestly, I think looking at the matchups in this game, I actually like Carolina to cover that. I just think that this is a this is one of those where not only are the teams mismatched, I think the matchups just happen to f- fall in Carolina's favor. So I'm going to go with them to cover this game, and I'm going to go with 40, 45 to 17. I, I think they're going to give up a couple plays, uh, and I think there will be some frustration at times as the defense works out some kinks up front, but – Ultimately, I, I just think they're going to run away with this game and uh, Syracuse's inability to stop either the run or the pass on the defense is going to be a factor that is ultimately going to be decisive in this game. Greg, are Syracuse's top two running backs, they haven't shown up yet, have they, at the time of this uh, recording? They, they are – well, they have shown up, and they've shown up to say that they're not going to play. They're, they're preparing for the NFL – uh draft and i think they combined for like 700 yards last year so 
So, uh, yeah. So, Carolina's defensive line, like Greg said, has some issues. That worries me. It worries me for to see how they can hold up against good offenses with good running attacks. Syracuse doesn't have it. I'm going 52 to 9. Whoa. Whoa. I know. That's insanity. But I'll it's, probably it's change it. It's not that crazy, though, because, again, here's the thing. How much is, how much is uh, Syracuse going to be able to run the football in this game? That's what I don't think. If Carolina's up 21 to nothing early, is, is Syracuse going to lean on the run all game and just try to get out of there? I mean, that's the, that's the real question. And that's where I think when you do have a little bit weaker defensive line, if you put up a lot of points, that can help mitigate that a little bit, just in the sense of teams are going to have to throw to beat you. So I can go ahead and get on the record. I'm going to say Diami Brown is the offensive MVP because I think Longo loves to throw it. I think it should be Javante or Carter, but I think they'll still they'll they'll throw it more than they need to. On defense, I'm going to say um, Storm Duck with a couple picks and then a sack, and then yeah, I just think Carolina does what they want. If Syracuse could run it, it would be concerning. I don't see it happening. I think it's a great time for a lot of guys to get some playing time. Greg, just so our readers and or excuse me, our listeners know, what's how has the media's role changed in the COVID season as far as covering the ball games? Well, it's going to be quite different. Um, number one, you don't have to deal with any kind of traffic uh, due to no fans <laughs> being in attendance. So that is a positive. Uh, but we, we are being granted access to the press box. There's going to be social distancing up there. So we have a very small number of media members that can actually attend. Uh, and then there's not going to be any uh, post-game interview access. We'll just sit and they'll pipe in the, the press conference into the press box. Really? So it'll be, it'll be change. It'll be quite a change, and it'll be different and um, a challenge for sure. But, you know, it's, it's 2020. It's, it's been a hell of a year, and uh, we all kind of have to adapt, and this will be no different. Interesting stuff. That'll, that'll definitely be different. I was surprised on the post-game. I was wondering how they were going to do it. Of course, if you're listening to this and you're on our message boards, you know Inside Carolina Live on Saturdays, three hours before kick, Joey Powell and myself, throwback podcast host and 40 Club host Joey Powell, going to be live in WCHL studios bringing you the Inside Carolina, Inside Carolina Live pregame show. We got it all covered for the two hours up until Jones and the Tar Heel Sports Network take, take over. So come see us nine o'clock to eleven at nine a.m. to eleven a.m. Stream it, listen to it on your dial. Uh, Greg Barnes will be on it. Jason Staples will be on it. Same inside Carolina crew you always get. Johnny T-shirt will be involved some way or another. You need to. Mm. There might be some swag available, some free mm. swag available if you're lucky. Uh, Greg and Jason, I'm still not totally convinced. I said the other day the ball needs to be in the air on the opening kickoff, um, but it looks like we're getting there. Thanks for joining me, boys. Thanks, Tommy. What a pleasure to actually be doing this again. Thanks, Tommy. Talking football. We'll see you guys soon. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.